program. Hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie-by-minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie, Tron. This is Minute 76. I'm your host, Duncan Shields, and joining me today is my vivacious, intelligent, and hardcore cinephile guest co-host, Kyle Natal. Welcome, Kyle. Well, thanks for having me. That's quite the introduction. <laughs> yeah. It's been fun to uh, get the thesaurus out for that kind of stuff. <laughs> Uh, why don't you um, tell us all a little bit about yourself? Well, I was a visual effects artist that did a lot of uh, big stint in editorial for animated uh, shows, a lot of Netflix, DreamWorks animated shows. And somehow I very recently, and in fact, when you met me, got into games. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's so much, I guess, crossover in the mediums now, which is interesting about Tron is like <laughs> that was one of the first big game movie crossovers. But like oh, I'm yeah, finding right. there's a lot of shared space now, particularly now where even like poly counts are getting similar between models and like games. And That's right. Game. That's right. Yeah, because it used to be that was the big difference right movies you could kind of go hog wild because it was just about the brute force of getting the actual picture rendered but in uh with games you had to have these little really like haiku poetry like just the smallest amount of data possible yeah that would work because you didn't have enough like memory to go for yeah that's true that's true but now now it's neck and neck right mm-hmm. and i was told at work that uh one of the game developers who's been in the industry for probably 15 years said, I've never met anyone like you. <laughs> so I guess oh, yeah. more and more people like me are, are getting into games, for better or for worse. I don't know. I don't really <laughs> – I mean, I, I work in cinematics primarily. Yeah. Um, I always watch the cinematics, but sometimes you just like, I want to skip it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, especially when they're like four minutes long or something. Right, like, Well, yeah. this is a thing of beauty. Yeah. And I'm really – a lot of work went into it, obviously. But, you know, you do like – I got a game to play, though. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Do you uh, do you remember the first time that you saw Tron? Uh, must have been on VHS. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I was alive. No. Actually. Yeah. Probably not. Probably not. Eighty two is a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it. Uh, I don't think I understood it when I saw it as a kid. Sure. Um, and probably when it first came out, people didn't understand it either. I mean, this is yeah. probably esoteric stuff at the time uh yeah it's kind of esoteric even today (laughs) yeah you know that's true like it's a pretty big i wouldn't call it a big pill to swallow but it's like uh it's heady Mm -hmm. you know it's heady stuff you're like wow man yeah and uh yeah i think it threw people yeah the venn diagram of like it's sort of philosophical leanings and it's sort of groundbreaking technology and that it was a disney film like all coming together at once i think it either blew your mind or it made you go, what is happening right now? I think maybe that was probably one of the failings that resulted to its disappointing box office. Oh, very polarizing, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. at that time, yeah, computers were still really mysterious, right? For sure. And, yeah. Uh, so that was that was one thing. Well, working on it with a computer every day, I find it mysterious. Oh, sure. They're still mysterious, right? They're still magic boxes. But uh, <laughs> at least we know a little bit more mm-hmm. these days. Yeah. Well, let's see what happens in minute 76 here. In this minute, the uh, the wacky buddy comedy of Dumont and Sark draws to a regrettable close, and we see the solar sailor get jammed with a power surge on the beam while Flynn displays some more remarkable Deus Ex user powers. Um, so we start with Dumont finishing his sick burn from minute 75. He started saying, I remember the MCP when he was just a chess program, and finishes by saying, he started small and he'll end small. 
which is a nice burn to lay out, I think. You can tell it unsettles Sark a little bit. He came here to gloat and sneer, and Dumont is having none of it. And that feels like Sark's like one insult away from just saying, oh, yeah, well, you're stupid, you know, or like, <laughs> well, I, I know you are, but what am I or something? He's not, he can't really take this open disrespect of the MCP. He came here to relax and, and gloat. And instead, he's like kind of getting his nose rubbed in it. In a way, I think he might even be jealous of Dumont. Like, I think Dumont has stayed true to his principles. I, I don't know, but so is Stark. So is Stark. So, I don't know. It's not like he started out the good guy or got warped or something. Like, the triumvirate of Sark, the MCP, and Dillinger are all shades of each other written in different aspects. But I just don't think he can get his head around the fact that Dumont literally can't respect the MCP no matter how much pain he's being put through. Right, because, so, uh, well, Sark is obviously subservient because of fear. Yeah, and uh, this character is not afraid. Yeah, he's uh, yeah he's subservient and and respectful, and I think also in awe. Like there's there's bits in the book where like in the scene before this when he gets really worked over by the MCP, mm-hmm. when the MCP is like you're you're out of time, and uh, there's a bit where he's he after the beating he's like oh geez oh no, and then he's like well wait a second, I'm the MCP's only hope. That's why he's being so hard on me. This is great, you know. Like he's mm-hmm. really, uh, he's really all in with the MCP. But yeah, it's it's because it's because of fear, because of the, the power, because he's an addict to the power that he gets from the MCP. Mm-hmm. But he's also, yeah, he's got some real uh, what carrot in the lash situation. Well, he's always trying there. to prove himself, or he's like he has something to prove. Like yeah. In earlier scenes, he's send me harder guys to fight. Um, mm-hmm. So I think he's got a real chip on his shoulder. Yeah, and it's kind of bravado. Like I wonder if this is an aspect of a younger Dillinger, uh, like before he stole Flynn's stuff to become uh, like uh, the what, executive, senior executive. I think. Yeah, maybe on the on the floor in Encom, he was like this Sark, you know, very full of bravado. Without like the only the only power he has to destroy other programs is given to him by the MCP. So it's not like he has a bunch of innate skill like like Tron does. So yeah, I can see how he's wrapped up in jealousy and fear, and he's just not having a good time. This guy <laughs> in the coming minutes, especially, he's just like. Oh yeah, I'm on top of the world. Oh no, you know, and this is the beginning of like a few scenes where he's like he comes down to Demont's room to like, you know, administer some torture and relax and have a good time, and it's just not working. Like, come on, Dumont, you know. <laughs> That's true. He does say that. I need to relax. <laughs> yeah, right. So he wanted to see Dumont break, and he's just really disappointed here. <laughs> yeah, and his 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 faith in the MCP is just shaken just a little bit because he's like. What else does he have to hold on to? Like, what else is he made for? Nothing. Nothing. That's it. That must be a real thing with a program when you're like central programming reason uh, is no longer or uh, or something like that. Like you must. How do you how do you do that? I guess. I mean, in this world anyway. If well, they talk about renouncing the users earlier. Yeah. Like, is that even an option for a program? <laughs> I guess that's the thing. I guess it is. I think they can be repurposed. Oh yeah, because the so, the yes. solar sailor. There's a bit in the book that the solar sailor is actually um, a NASA. Uh, it was a scrapped NASA project that Flynn recognizes. He's like, "Oh, that's a that's a NASA project that we were working on," and these were the blueprints, and it never went ahead. But the MCP has stolen them and repurposed them for uh, uh, 
you know a transit system inside inside the uh, inside the grid so i think it's possible to like you know repurpose programs mm-hmm. and uh, and also what the mcp is doing is not like he's also like he's giving he's starving them of power and then uh and then saying i will give you your power back if you join my team mm-hmm. so i think he's also trying to find programs that can keep on doing what they're doing but now for the mcp so he's kind of you know absorbing companies and then saying okay sure keep on doing what you're doing but you're mine now mm-hmm. Typical corporation. Typical corporation. And the ones that he has no use for, he puts into the games. Yeah. Right? So So he's Adobe. So he's Adobe, basically. Yeah, he's Adobe. Yeah, he's Adobe. Um, Sark leaves by the room by saying, Very funny, Dumont. Maybe I should keep you around just to make me laugh. Which, admittedly, is a, little, is a pretty weak retort. But uh, Dave, David Warner does inject it with some high-caliber derision and venom, so it works. And in response, Dumont, you know, does give up some fairly feeble groans, which is a little hard to hear. He's not Dumont, no. Mm-hmm. But then uh, Sark leaves to attend to business. And I just love the abstract, high concept designs for these shots. You know, like aside from the torture panel, the, the triangular torture panel itself, the rest of the room and the walls behind Sark are just kind of like neon improv. You know, they're just, you know, I half expect to see a version of that. Uh, was that jazz design that was on all the coffee cups in the <laughs> the nineties? Like a turquoise and purple angular uh, um, something squiggle like that. Like I don't know something like that because there's something really retro about this, but there's something really uh, really high concept about it too. You can feel the uh, impact of Mobius, I think, in this section of the film for sure. Yeah, for sure, especially in the costumes and in the uh, the backgrounds. You see it. You see it a lot throughout the film. Mobius's design work is just like right there and uh it's kind of cool that they made it all work because i find his designs to be (laughs) organic like they're really organic and they're really you can really see it in dumont's uh what somebody called cyber barnacle uh, shell when he's still when he's all locked (laughs) turtled into that to that you know terminal that's so mobius the big giant hat with the waves on it and yeah, there's a stark minimalism to it, I suppose. And, yeah. Uh, but I feel like in this section of the film, like things are getting beveled, like there's yeah. like rounded shapes. Like I don't know how. I guess another studio might have taken this over, but it seems aesthetically the movie's kind of shifted from the game grid kind of area. Yeah. Well, there was three studios or four studios that were working on it at the same time: the Triple I, Magi, uh, Robert Abel and Associates, and I think one other one. And they all did different aspects of it. Like one company did the the recognizers, one company did the solar sailor, and they were all rendering out these different parts of the movie. And to have them all together in one movie, um, and looking like they were all made by one company, is just I think a, such a triumph of art direction. You know, because yeah. it's like for the most part, it's not like it doesn't look like you're going from different company to different company. It looks like, especially in the scenes when the recognizers catch up with the solar sailor, because you're like, wait, is there two different companies did that one? You know, so right. how did this get edited together? So there's some they they talk about how complicated those shots were, especially in one of them coming up. Not only is it different studios, but they wrote their own software. That's I'm sure entirely different. Yeah, from each working other. with different, uh, just different computers. Yeah, right. Different, yeah. you know, home cooked hot rod computers that they each had to use. So, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. It's sort of like that. It reminds me of that every frame of painting uh, YouTube channel, right? That's unfortunately no longer doing stuff. But I'd like to. Uh, I wonder if they ever did a Tron one. 
because I could see that. I could ask Tony. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, that's right. They're they're Vancouver based. Right? Yeah, they yeah. were. Yeah, I, I yeah. Tony. Tony's great. Oh, cool. Right on. Right on. All right, so we get to see the recognizers speeding along the energy beam through the bubble field again, but they're not attached to it. It seems to be a little inconsistent with the recognizers being attached to the beam in one shot and not attached in another, but that's okay. In this shot, one of the recognizers, in the lead and not on the beam, takes out another bubble in its blue pincer web net thing, again with the lovely red concentric explosion pop circles and some bright green smaller bubbles. I like uh, the animation on the leftover bubbles because they get caught in the wake a little bit. You can see like they, they fall and then they sort of go over to the side like, they're, uh, like they've been caught in the wake of the recognizer as it's going past. So it's not just, they're not just dropping. They're, like, they're kind of floating and waving around. Now I is... wonder how they did that because um, I watched a documentary on the making of and apparently yeah. for the animation, they had to plot out um, using six points of data, you know, the X, Y, yeah. Z and all the rotation values where something was going to be every frame and then send it to a technician to input manually. That's right. For every frame, for every object. Were each one of those bubbles calculated that way? Or is it a... Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so that's why it's like, wow, you put a little flourish on them? Yeah. Dude. <laughs> I was just getting something to move <laughs> right? by itself. Was a, you was a you could have just made them go straight down and it would have been A-OK. <laughs> yeah. But instead you put a nice little flourish on them. You got to take pride in your work. Yeah, right? And it's, it was, uh, yeah, and I met, like, all these scenes, I think, must have been a lot of, like, first takes just by necessity because of the effort involved. Like, I'm sure there's a few scenes in here where they're not exactly what they wanted, but they're like, well, it took a month to make this one shot, and uh, it's coming out. The movie's coming out real soon. I so, heard that their pencil test was actually seeing it printed on 35 millimeter. Yeah. That's right. That's, that's right. Nuts. Yeah, their dailies were like the finished shots <laughs> <laughs> that had taken a ton of time. There's uh there's a funny story at the beginning about one of the guys who um one of his cameras wasn't working, the viewfinder on his camera wasn't working. So he just pointed it in the direction of the actors. Was like, "I hope this turns out." And they didn't find out until dailies oh. whether or not it worked and he was like, he didn't tell the director till later, but it was like what? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so that's it. I guess the first recognizer is the bubble remover. And then he's protecting the second one, maybe. Right. That's my sort of <laughs> headcanon for what's what's going on the here. Deep lore on the, the... <laughs> the deep lore. Yeah, this is the, the structure. And then the Wendy Carlos music is just pounding in these in this minute which is fantastic <laughs> as the chase continues it's going full wendy carlos full wendy carlos <laughs> all out we cut to the solar sailors on the beam we get some fantastic uh, streaks of light that uh, that that fly by and then oh my gosh a huge blockage of yellow energy smashes up against the snout of the solar sailor slowing down its uh, velocity immensely Flynn shouts, what's happening? And Yori says, power surge from the MCP. And Tron says, we have to get off this beam. And Yori says, I can't. There isn't another junction for seven or eight nanoseconds. And Flynn says, there's another beam over there. And Yori says, it's too far. So, <laughs> I mean, this whole exchange of lines, there's, uh, there's quite a few questions that come up. Like, uh, was the solar sailor targeted by the MCP by this surge? Or did the MCP just send out huge surges on all the power beams? hoping to inconvenience the solar sailor somewhere in the web of beams. And uh, I don't know, like, this is, like, there's a bunch of sentences in this film where you can tell the actors are like, I have no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, like, 
It's like, uh, over there is something bad coming for you. And they're like, okay. Like, they use that motivation, but the actual words they're saying don't make any sense. So this is definitely one of those one of those moments because I can see everybody just going, I, I don't I don't know. They're in a black room. Yeah. Talking lines that make no sense to them. and But they're giving it. They're giving it all they can. So It must be. So, I've done a few green screen films where everything is, there's nothing there for the actor to actually play off of. And it's yeah. incredibly hard. Yeah. When you think of the scenes where it's like, okay, it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. Go. You know, you're <laughs> terrified beyond the capacity for rational thought. You know, go. And it's like, okay, you're in a green room. But right. as you mentioned, you're combining that with terms that yeah. people aren't familiar with at all. Yeah. But uh, they did such a great job. I uh, I really commend the actors in this film. It's incredible. Yeah, and they say like in the commentary that this power surge sequence has some of the most beautiful and uh, hard-to-do animation in the entire film because like, it's all hand-done. All this stuff was hand-done. There's a lot of CG in the film, but there's way more hand-done animation than people realize, especially whenever you see light uh, like reflecting on somebody. That's all, that's all hand-done. That was nothing that could be done. So you've got... It's like the surge itself is like four passes of color just by itself, and then it's got a flicker, and then the light it gives off you know, needs to both illuminate and throw shadows on both the characters and the set. So the characters are one thing, are one component. The set's another component. And then the overlay of the reflection and the shadows is another component. And then the surge itself and all the, the glitters that are coming off of it is just like, I don't know, all of it done all of it done by hand. It just, I don't know, my mind reels at how well it all comes together and all, all the effort involved. It's like you were saying in your research, right? Like the effort involved in this film. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, every, as you're saying, every character by themselves could be five passes. Yeah. And uh, if they have to do lighting effects on top, that could be more. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's all optically printed, right? It's yeah. all just stacked. Oh, my. It's, it's ridiculous. It's yeah. crazy. Just the logistics, right, of, like, the boxes of all the stuff. You're like, And then you've got to ship it and have it worked on and shipped back. And you're like, oh, nope, this is frame... 4,326. We wanted frame 4,324. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Just from an organizational standpoint, never mind the results. That's It's, ama- it's a great that they managed to do this. It's interesting here that Yori is measuring distance in time increments. You know, I'm kind of reminded of... Uh, like doing the Kessel Run in under 12 parsecs, you know, which is like a kind of the opposite. You know, you're like... Well, so you run the you ran the twelve mile run in under eight miles, so this is like it's over there, you know, nanoseconds away, which I guess sort of makes sense because you say like I'll be there in ten minutes, you don't say I'm five hundred meters away from you, right? So sort of, and also since time moves super slow inside the grid as compared to our world, so maybe nanoseconds makes sense. Yeah, but actually, the, I was wondering about that because they at one point contact Alan, like I mean, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you can't read too much into the no. logistics of the time. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, did this all happen in an instant? He was uh, kind of digitized and then reanimated, I guess, instantaneously? Like, I figure it's just whatever the function of the user beam is, is it just reads out what they're typing. Mm-hmm. But it reads it out at a speed that, like, he types it, like, one letter a year. Yeah. You know, by their standards. <laughs> yeah, they would be there forever. But then it but then it comes down in a squirt just for just for him, right? So yeah. and also when he when Alan one was first talking it sounded a little um 
kind of echoey and, and robotic a little bit. So, so perhaps it was, it was some translation going on there because otherwise talking to the user would be, oh, man, you just got to set up camp. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's just the best programmer ever. He talks really fast. <laughs> so fast. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's good. I, I remember I read a, a book called Dragon's Egg, uh, and it was about life evolving on a white dwarf star. So the gravitational stresses were such that they were just kind of like two molecule thin amoeba pancakes that could like form little pseudopods. But because their planet is spinning, you know, 2000 times a second or something like that, um, they evolve by our standards, like within a couple of months from primitives to uh, space age technology. So there's a there's a ship of humans that's near it and they end up like communicating with them but like every sentence they're communicating with a new generation wow right <laughs> yeah so they're kind of watching it real time as these things they end up sending spaceships out to the human and then going way beyond human capacities and like leaving clues for them for future technology on some of the planets in our solar system and it's uh it's pretty neat but it's that whole that time dilation thing that's one thing that i don't really know how the how the users communicate here without uh they can't be real time. It cannot be real time. It'd be a boring film. It'd be a very <laughs> boring film. Like, oh no, I have to go talk to my user. See you in a couple of weeks. You know, that's how you make a trilogy. That's how you. Make, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. It, it's weird because it's a nanosecond's a real world reference, not a grid term. So I don't, I don't really know what that comes down to either. But you know, that's the byproduct of doing one of these. Is you're like, you're not meant. <laughs> to really no. wonder that that much about it so chill out but then out of nowhere we see our first other energy beam uh in the novel they mention that there's hundreds if not thousands of these things so that's why the solar sailor can evade the mcp on his journey towards it because it's like looking for a needle in a haystack but as it is the other beam just kind of shows up out of the blue you know like and then it's it's too far with the rising music is just sort of a regular hollywood structure you know the door is closing you know the mm. the rock's about to fall the lithium crystals are going to overheat so it's it's all good we're just sort of being introduced to a situation yori's control panel is throbbing bright red which is never a good sign <laughs> you never want to see that in your when all the controls turn red on your spaceship it's like uh oh, that's not good uh flynn dashes off to the front of the solar sailor which tron uh, half follows him wondering what the heck he's doing uh, we cut to the shot of the recognizers coming straight for us down the down the energy beam, and the camera goes through the recognizers in a very sort of, I guess, Christopher Nolan type of uh, type of shot, which is something that you could do. Or a lot of early CG was you're going through this tunnel. Oh, there's a lot of shots in this movie that are like that. Yeah, yeah. right. Or like uh, this this camera can go through the thing, you know, which is something you could never do. And uh, so it was very, mm -hmm. I remember at the time, it got super overused. <laughs> but at the time, it was like, whoa, you know. Uh, and we get a shot from the nose of the solar sailor, and it looks like an open nuclear reactor. It looks really hot right now. There's sparks of energy coming off of it. It's got all these sizzling sounds. And the music is playing uh, right here, kind of like the fight music from Star Trek, you know, or maybe uh, uh, some Philip Glass from like Koyana Scotsi or something. They're like, dun, 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 that sort of stuff. We see uh, Jeff Bridges walk up to the protective railing and look down at the glowing sun. And, uh, and then he, he flops forward and goes down towards it. And uh, he's like, 
reaches out his hand into this huge crackling ball of energy. <laughs> I don't know. It's a bit of a suicidal action in, in, in my books. but He seems invincible. He really does. <laughs> he really does. Which it kind of diffuses a lot of the tension for me in the climax. It seems like, oh, well, he can't be derezzed. Oh, yeah. can't, like there's like so many things that I guess that happens later. But yeah, but people are everybody's like, look out, you know, you'll be derezzed. It's like, not, not at this point. I'm not sure that that's even a possibility. <laughs> and his yeah. attitude just in general is like, ah, I could be dreaming. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll give this a shot. <laughs> like, wow, you're really you're really uh, you're just really playing fast and loose here. <laughs> Fingers crossed this works. And there's a there's a wider shot of his back as he shoots out his other arm to the side and this massive beam the color of egg yolks lances out from that arm and he seems to be conducting the beam through his own body off into the ether. There's a really nice hum that kicks in as he does it too. This really low just like <clears throat> you're like what? It sounds like kilowatts of electricity are just like pumping through him or mongolian throat singing yeah 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 that kind of that kind of it yeah and uh and so there's a lot of voltage being uh, funneled through him, which sounds great the beam he's created latches onto the other beam and so now there's like a triangle between the intersection of the beams uh flynn's arm touching the other beam and the nose of the solar sailor tron comes back to yori and says he's creating a junction there's a close-up here of Yori pressing buttons, and this looks like a little bit of a different dashboard design than we saw in the wider shots, but I, I really like it. It's a little less tiny and intricate and more like the big, bright, simple, bold buttons like on uh, like Sark's Cruiser's dashboard. He's got all the big, those big buttons which is with all the pictures on them, pictograms. I was actually wondering about that. Do you think that that's actually a physical prop that they used? They, well... Cindy Morgan talks about it, and it was just a uh, no. <laughs> like it was just a black. It's just a black uh, uh, board, mm-hmm. right? And she was told to just press buttons and turn dials and make it look like you know what you're doing. We'll put a button in there later. Don't worry. Well, yeah, about it. yeah. And she has uh, her father was a, an audio engineer, and so she knew her way around giant mixing boards because she wanted to be an audio engineer before she became an actor, and. Uh, and so she was just miming that because she has that background, and it worked. It worked really well. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not just like. It looks like she's controlling with intent. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that uh, that experience came in pretty pretty handy for that. Uh, and then we get a shot of the recognizers and the solar sailor in the same shot as they bear down on the ship, spinning up their blue net webs. And this is like I was talking before because Magi. And Triple I did the solar, like Magi did the recognizers and Triple I did the solar sailors. So I'm not sure how they handled having them both in the same shot. Like it's a locked off shot. So I guess it would be kind of simple to yeah. comp in the solar sailor. Most of the shots are locked off for yeah. very good reason and visual effects. So very much easier. Good reason. Yeah, 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 for sure. Right. Because then once you start to, they talk a lot about that, about the, the backgrounds. Right, because the backgrounds are hand painted, mm-hmm. right? So you could add a pulse or a throb or something, but if you move the camera, the backgrounds are just going to get super ropey all of a sudden because yeah. they've all got to be hand painted. They can't really swivel or truck or dolly or anything like that. Uh, the solar sailor takes Flynn's beam, leaving the official energy beam. First the nose and then the body, letting the pulse of energy fly backwards behind them now that they're no longer standing in the way. The beam smashes back into the recognizers, turning the first one green and sending it crashing into recognizer number two, destroying them both. So there's no, uh, the repulsor magnetic fields that seem to surround them aren't really, uh, they've been overloaded, I guess, at this point. 
they uh, there are no solar sailor. There are no solar sailor, and then they yeah they just they disintegrate into cubes and planes. Yeah, that's right. This huge beam, yeah, just nestled up against the nose of the uh, of the solar sailor. That's a that's a well constructed. NASA was thinking about this exact situation. <laughs> this exact situation. Maybe it's an asteroid catcher, right, right? or something like that. And uh, the solar sailor completes its very awkward transition over to the new beam, thanks to Flynn and Yori, and then it starts to accelerate, which sort of brings us up to the end of that minute. But I do like to go over about the differences between the the novelization and the screenplay and the film when we get close to the end. So in the novel, Flynn has this cool little moment where he's looking at Yori uh, and her high-level... seeing her like exacting high level competence and her drive to see things through he sees tron's focused will to get the job done and stick to his mission while being as generous with his friends as he is ruthless with his enemies and even dumont's unyielding no second thought sacrifice to save them and he realizes that these are aspects of dr laura baines alan bradley and dr walter gibbs and that he had underestimated all of them in the real world like he has this moment of like, because he is a bit of a, a you know a selfish jackass, you know, mm-hmm. like he sees a, a, you know, kind of a trickster and kind of a you know, kind of that that headstrong, hothead kind of guy. And it's nice to see this moment where he's like, oh wow, man, the programs are teaching him that his friends, these aspects of his friends, he's like, wow, they are much more than I gave them credit for, you know. Because he kind of he struggles more in the novel with this world mm-hmm. than uh, than in the movie. He just kind of. I would have liked to have seen that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that sounds like a great uh, choice for his character. Yeah, because he kind of haplessly stumbles through this world, trying to kill himself several times <laughs> and which failing. Is fun. I mean, yeah, like, which is fun. Yeah, which is having a great time in every scene, and he's his performance is incredible. Like, yeah, he's just so much fun to watch. Yeah, it's, it's, it makes the film for sure. Yeah, but then I. I could see it the other way too, like because that's a very interesting place to take that character for the for an arc. But like right now, he just kind of yeah. whoa, yeah, shows yeah. Up. I'm just gonna jump down this thing. Whoa. <laughs> What's gonna happen here? I'm gonna stick my arm in this reactor. <laughs> oh, hope nothing bad happens. You know, yeah. like yeah, for sure. Um, and he also realizes that he's gonna regret leaving this place. Hmm. which is an interesting beat for him too, because up till now he's been like, "Get me out of here," but now for the first time he's like. Ah. I don't want to leave, which is kind of uh, kind of neat. Which would have made the ending bittersweet. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of cool things about that. <laughs> yeah, right? Because, yeah, as it is, he's like, well, see you later. But like, <laughs> it would have been cool to be like, oh, man, I have to go back. But I kind of don't want to. Yeah. Or maybe that's implied. I mean, when we get into those minutes, we'll, we'll, we'll look at it under more of a microscope. But, yeah, I don't remember him showing a lot of regret about going back to the real world. <laughs> You know, kind of just oh that happened. Yeah, it's kind of like whoa, head shake. Jeez. <laughs> Other than that, the beam switching is pretty much the same. Except oh yeah, they're still they're not being pursued by recognizers in the in the book. That was just added, I guess, to add a little bit more tension. It's like a time bomb, and I can understand that. Yeah, because it gets a little, and they, that's why they added the the streaks in the background and the shooting stars and the comets and stuff because it is just the horizon. And these are dialogue heavy scenes and it's really boring, mm. you know, so you like got to like jazz it up somehow. So, yeah, adding some pursuing recognizers, adding some stuff in the background. Um, in the screenplay, as Sark leaves Dumont, he shouts to a guard to bring this antique up to the bridge so he can watch his friends be obliterated. So he's uh, actually like tells them to like 
move Dumont, but they cut that, which is cool because the next time we see Dumont, he's sort of still in his uh, still in his triangle torture cage. So, which is a fun sentence to say, triangle <laughs> triangle torture cage. That's not how it's written in the script, is it? No, no, that's uh, that's me. That's uh, that's all me. The direction switch with missed the, opportunity. Missed opportunity. Yeah, the the direction switch with the beam is the same, except um, there's still the bit is still there. The the, the bit character is still uh, still mm. there, flying around, panicked. I miss bit. Yeah. At this point in the movie, I wanted more bit. Yeah, and he would have. I think he would have helped with the sort of dialogue heavy scenes. Or little, <laughs> yeah. He could have been cut like, to bit. cut to bit. What? You know, like. <laughs> yes. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that could be like a bit at the end where uh, just a, a beat where the bit says maybe <laughs> right yeah, yeah that's what the, the hollywood remake huh? <laughs> that'd be pretty i can good. see the toy already <laughs> yeah <laughs> every time you squeeze it yeah. it says yes no or maybe it's like a magic eight ball yeah <laughs> like a magic eight ball that's right well that's what i kind of figured they were i thought every every cockpit had a bit and that could be <laughs> what, what did they actually do <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure how it was like it was originally conceived as comic relief, uh, mm-hmm. you know, his sidekick comic relief. I like it. Yeah. And it, it got watered down and watered down. It was going to be hand drawn with big exaggerated animated Ooh. faces. And then when it was done in CG, they could say like, no, no, Siri, Bob, not on your life. Not a chance, you know, or like, absolutely. You betcha. You know, like instead of just saying yes or no, it would do all these other, huh. you know, thesaurus positives and negatives. Um, but then that got watered down and or not watered down, but just shifted and shifted and shifted and shifted until we get that, you know, it's funnier as, as the monosyllabic kind of, yeah. Yeah. I think so too. It gives it a wonderful talent for understatement, Yeah, you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm on fire. This isn't good. No. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. It's quite funny. No, it's not good. Or yes. <laughs> yeah. It is. yeah. Well, are you disagreeing with me or yeah. Uh, so I don't know. That uh, takes us to the end of uh, this minute. Do you uh, do you want to tell people where they can find you if they want to hear more of you, or do you have anything? Oh. You know, or... uh, yeah, I, I have a YouTube channel, which is awesome. YouTube dot com backslash Megasteakman. Megasteakman. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and uh, don't make a lot of videos there anymore. But I've been because I've been trying to learn how to game dev. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, what a what a hard programming is tough. Yeah, it is. It's very tough. Yeah, very very hard. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess I'm on Twitter as well. Yeah, that'd be yeah. Mega Steak Man. So uh, that's when I'll post all the things I'm doing, like cool stuff like this. Awesome, right on. Cool. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, check out more at tronologicallyspeaking.com. Drop us a line on Twitter at tronologicallyspeaking. Send us an email at tronologicallyspeaking at gmail.com or join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking Tron Minute by Minute Listeners page. Uh, shout out to Pond Five for the opening and closing music, and special thanks to the Star Wars Minute that started it all. Go on over to moviesbyminutes.com and see if your favorite movie is there, and if it isn't, consider doing one yourself. It's a very inclusive and encouraging community in my experience. Uh, do you want to try a little end of line on three? End of line. Yeah. What is it? What is that? That's just um, you and I say end of line. Oh, okay, to, sure. To finish off to to finish off the podcast. I don't know if I'm prepared for this, but sure. All right. Well, let's give it a shot. One, two, three. End End of of life. Perfect.